We're in this series called The Upside-Down Way of Jesus. Jesus did a lot of things. Uh, he said a lot of things that, that kind of went against the flow, the very mainstream of the society that he was living in. He, he said things like, it's better to give than to receive. You know, and he said that, and when he said that, it kind of rubbed people the wrong way. He said things like, hey, I got an idea. If someone hits you on one cheek, go ahead and turn and give them the other cheek as well. Or, or even more than that, pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those people who, who do the very you know, harmful things against you, who give you a hard time. And, and Jesus said these things that rub people the wrong, thing, the wrong way because these messages were countercultural to the way that the people were living 2,000 years ago. But they still are today. You know, and it's not real uncommon that we read some of these things that Jesus said in our Bibles and we consider some of the things that he did and you can't help but look at some of them and go, seriously? I mean, seriously. I mean, you, you expect me 2,000 years later to, to live that same way. I mean, isn't it possible that that's just a little old-fashioned or a little outdated or, or maybe while that applied then or it, it maybe makes for a great line in the Bible but we're really not expected to live the things out that Jesus said or to live the way that he did. It, it, it just kind of doesn't feel right. And, and that's the way that it is, that, that even today, I mean, some of the things that Jesus said and did, I mean, they're almost countercultural or counterintuitive, meaning, you know, they, they, not only, they, they just don't feel right. I mean, you read it and you think that just doesn't make sense. That's not the way that I was raised. That's not the way that the world operates today. You just don't act like that. It's just kind of upside down to what we're used to, and we see that a lot. You know, as we read the Bible, as we think about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to take his teachings and to apply them to your life, it, it, they just, it's a little lopsided sometimes. Well, we're looking at one of those upside-down moments again today. And, and the most upside-down moment in all of human history, it, it took place on a Friday. It was the day that the creator of all things was crucified by his creation. I mean, how do you begin to make sense of something like that, of, of God himself coming down and dying for the sins of the world on a cross? You know, where does that fit in? How, how does that make sense? And, and from the moment, you know, Jesus entered the world, nothing about his life really made sense. I mean, he left his throne in heaven for a feeding trough. It just doesn't really make sense. Or, or how, about, how about the teenage girl, Mary? You know, being born to a teenager... It, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Or his earthly father, Joseph, the fact that he was so poor that he couldn't even afford the traditional sacrifice in which to celebrate the, the birth of his son. And then you've got the disciples. I mean, think about it. I mean, if, if you plan to change the world, you go out and find the best and the brightest today. That's how it rolls. I mean, you hire the Ivy League grad, you hire the wealthiest, you know, that you possibly can, the brightest. But, but Jesus, he chose low-life fishermen and a tax collector. I mean, he went digging at the very bottom of the social barrel to see what he could find. I mean, no one would have chosen a path like this. It's pretty upside down all the way through. And the most upside down moment of all it was his death. I mean, as one author put it, omnipotent he cried, the owner of all things had no home. The king of kings, he became a servant. The creator, he was spit upon by his creation. The giver of life, he was crucified naked on a cross. How do you ever begin to make sense of something like that? It's upside down. Well, the Apostle Paul wrote two letters 
uh, to a church in a city called Corinth. We call them First and Second Corinthians. So if you've got your Bible, I want to invite you to take it and turn to First Corinthians. Uh, we're going to spend some time there this morning. But Paul wrote these letters, these two letters, to a group of people in this church, in this city called Corinth, acknowledging that the message of the cross was pretty upside down. I mean, he wrote this first letter from the perspective of knowing that the people of Corinth were going to have a hard time understanding, accepting, even applying the message of Jesus and of the cross. Because you've got this pretty forward-thinking church in this very sophisticated city. It's made up of smart people. And this church in Corinth, they're doing everything they can to try and help people find their way back to God. But the people of the city weren't getting it. They just couldn't understand it. They couldn't get their minds around it. They couldn't get their hearts around the message. And so they were ripping it apart. The idea of a cross and God dying on it was way too difficult to believe. It just didn't make sense. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes a letter to this church, to the people, and he calls it as it is. I mean, he basically acknowledged what was taking place when he said, hey, he just said, hey, I get it. I know that the message of the cross and the creator of all things coming down... As, as God incarnate, I, I know it's difficult to believe. He said it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's actually verse 18. That's my mistake. My wife pointed it out to me after the first service. She does that. You know, she points out those little things. But, um, but it's verse 18, which says, For the message of the cross is foolishness. That's how Paul said it. He said, hey, guess what? I get it. The message of the cross, it is foolish. It doesn't make sense. It's difficult to get your minds around. I realize it's a little upside down. I realize that it's a little lopsided. I mean, the message of the cross is weakness. As one translation describes it, the message of the cross is silliness. Now, the people in the first century that were reading this, they understood what Paul was saying when he said foolishness because the whole message of God dying on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, it just seemed a little upside down. And let's be honest. You know, maybe you're here this morning and, and you're kind of new to church. Or you, you haven't been in a while and, and you're just kind of getting back into it. But, I mean, if you're really truly honest with yourself and you think about it, sometimes the message of the cross, it, it just does seem, it seems a little foolish. Like it's a little too difficult to believe. That God himself, the creator of all things, would come down and he would choose a, a cross... You know, where his own son would die. And somehow that equates to the forgiveness of, of all sins, past, present, and future, for those that receive it and say, you know what, I want to believe it and I, I want that for my life. It was foolish then, and, but in, in many ways it, it's still kind of foolish today. I mean, if you're truly honest with yourself, some people just don't get it. It, it seems a little upside down. And, and if you let it, the whole position of the cross is just a little ironic. I mean, think about it. The soldiers mocking Jesus as king. You know, they, they take a crown of thorns and they jam it on Jesus' head. Or, or the purple robe being thrown on, on his bloody back. They, they mock him as king and he was king. I mean, we believe that he was the king of kings, that he is the king of kings. It's a little ironic. It doesn't make sense. And next, next day, they, they blindfolded him and they just took turns beating on him. You know, beating him down, punching him, throwing jabs. They beat him up, and you know the story, but if you're a first century Jew, the cross and the story around it is foolish. And Paul called it like it was. It's foolish. It doesn't make sense. I mean, you're trying to win the world over with the redemptive message. You don't tell that story. 
It has to be written a different way. But why was it so difficult to believe? Well, in the first century, you know, the cross kind of stood for a few things. And if you're taking notes and want to write these down, you know, the first thing was that the cross was the ultimate symbol of weakness. I mean, for a first century Jew to look at the cross, to, to see it visibly, to try and picture it in their mind, you know, this whole message of the cross, I mean, it was, just, it was foolishness. It was a symbol of weakness. The cross represented the unwillingness of, of the people to give in to the demands of the Roman government. It, it represented the Jews who, who weren't willing to give in to the demands of, of Rome. Look at it like this. Rome, they ruled the world. They, they ruled this area of the world at this particular time. And so the Jewish people lived under their rule. They lived under this oppression. And periodically, a group of Jews would would rise up and rebel against the Roman leaders. And in response, the Romans would retaliate with, with great force. And they would put down any possible rebellion whatsoever. And it usually led to these horrible ramifications. One historian described one, one time where, where the rebellion was so great that the punishment uh, from the Romans was even greater. That on one particular day, 2,000 men were crucified. And as the historian described it, he said, there was no lumber left in Jerusalem to build any additional cross. And so they, they crucified these men along the most busiest roads around Jerusalem, around this area, so that everyone else could see. That you had to walk by them to go to work, to go to the synagogue, to go to the well, whatever it may have been. You had to walk by to see what had taken place. And, and there was a message, you know, that, that Rome was trying to communicate in this. It was simply, don't mess with Rome. Don't mess with Rome. We're strong, you're weak. And over time, the Jews learned to despise the cross because it was a great symbol of weakness. But it represented something else. You know, they despised the cross for another reason, and that was that the cross represented humiliation. I mean, when they saw it, they saw weakness and they saw humiliation because that's really what the cross was all about. The Romans were known for their execution methods. They were masters at execution and they they stoned people to death. They used fire for torture. Uh, They would cut people's heads off with swords. They would use hemlock to poison. But they were masters of what was known as crucifixion. And it was all about humiliating the one who had committed the crime, the one who... Uh, who had committed the offense. And and why crucifixion? Well, I mean, there was nothing like it. And it it took a lot of time, and it was an expensive form of execution. But why did they do it? Well, because they used it to humiliate the prisoner and to humiliate their families. And so the cross was a symbol of weakness, but it was a symbol of humiliation too. There was another thing. The cross represented suffering. You know, Jesus was crucified like most people were, but crucifixion was a process. It was a long process. It was a drawn-out process. Uh, they, they took Jesus, they would take these criminals, and they would stand these large posts, just one single beam, and they would tie the prisoner's hands up in the air. They would bind them to the top of this cross so that they would literally have to lean up against it, exposing their back. And they would rip the clothes off the prisoners so the back was exposed, and, and they, they would whip them. I mean, before they ever got to the cross, they would whip the prisoner. If you've seen The Passion of Christ, you recall that, that brutal scene. I mean, it's one of the most difficult scenes in the movie. You know, as they whipped the, ba- the backs of, of these prisoners, as they whipped the back of Jesus. Now, sometimes people say they whipped him 39 times. Well, that was true if the Jews were doing the whipping. But these were Romans. They didn't have to count. You know, and they didn't need to. They didn't pay attention. And five out of ten times, they say, a man would typically die 
being beaten, being whipped on the back before they ever made it to the cross. But for those who survived, and if they were beaten correctly, they were beaten to the very verge of death. But still breathing, heart still beating. First century Jews viewed the cross as a symbol of defeat. You know, once the person was beaten, soldiers would take the patibulum of the cross. The patibulum, the patibulum is the horizontal beam. And typically that beam would weigh somewhere in the ballpark of 100 pounds. So the prisoner, Jesus, was beaten to the point that their backs were, were the vertebrae would even be exposed at this point because they had been beaten so badly. And they would take the patibulum and they would put it on the shoulders of the man, they'd tie it to the shoulders of the man, and then they would make them walk to their final place. And for Jesus, that was Calvary. But in order to get there, there was a road that had to be taken, and, and we know that Jesus took what's called the Via Dolorosa. It was the name of the road that wound through Jerusalem. It wasn't the shortest point between two, distance, two distances. It was the busiest. I mean, the Romans were making a spectacle. They were making a main event out of Jesus' death. They wanted everyone to see that Rome wins, and once again, Israel loses. You know, the cross was a symbol of defeat, and, and with every hammer swung and every nail pounded, each sound was a, uh, a clanging of Roman victory. And finally, the most obvious, the cross was considered foolish by a first century Jew because it symbolized death. I mean, when you went to the cross, you died. And you died in agony and with suffering. And so you can't really blame the people of the first century for calling it foolish. I mean, the whole thing is foolish. It doesn't make sense. But that's the way the people of Corinth saw it. And the message doesn't really change much today. I mean, when we see things that represent humility and weakness, we're not typically attracted to those sorts of things. We're attracted to power and to strength and to symbols of victory. And so the question this morning is why the cross? I mean, with the cross and everything that it stood for, Weakness, humiliation, suffering, defeat, and death. Why did God choose the cross? Why this symbol and not something greater? I mean, why a symbol of weakness? You know, I mean, and when you think about it, I mean, the story of Jesus' birth, yes, it, I mean, it's cute, and, and we can get there with it. I mean, it, it's hard to believe, but we can kind of get there with that portion of the story. And again, you know, with Mary and the teenage girl, all right, we can go there. I mean, again, it's a little difficult to believe, but okay, I see how that fits in. And, and even with Jesus, you know, growing up in a rural town, a rural community where they said nothing great came out of this area. All right, that's a great movie plot. All right, I can get there. Hollywood can make an awesome movie out of that. I mean, again, it doesn't always make sense, but why the cross? Why the ultimate symbol of weakness? Well, here's the point. Here's the thing. It is the very reason that God chose the cross. The cross was chosen because it is the ultimate symbol of weakness. That's why God chose it. I mean, God took what was weak and despised in the eyes of the people of the world. He took that which represented humiliation and suffering and defeat. He found the one symbol that was least likely to represent love and life. And God looked at the cross and he said, that's perfect. It's perfect. 
It's absolutely what we need. And with the cross, the ultimate symbol of weakness became the ultimate demonstration of his strength. With God, the ultimate symbol of weakness became the ultimate demonstration of his strength. God chose something that was weak so that his strength could be more clearly seen in it. Paul goes on to write in 1 Corinthians 1.22, he says, Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Meaning Jews look for miracles and, and, and the, the, uh, the Greeks and the Romans are all about head knowledge, but we preach the cross. We've got the cross. Some look for strength and power, but our message is the cross. It's the message of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is our message, first and foremost, then and today. And, and Paul continues by explaining that the cross is a stumbling block for the Jew. It's, it's, it's why so many Jews had difficulty believing, because it's foolishness, as Paul writes. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem to add up. And then in verse 25, he writes, For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. So what is that getting at? Why the cross? And when you think about it, why Mary for that matter? Or why Joseph? And why Galilee? And why the disciples? Why the cross? Here's why. Here's why. It's because he can. It's because God can. I mean, who else but God can take something like a cross and turn it into a symbol of life and of freedom? God can. I mean, who else, who else but God can take a cross, a symbol of defeat and destruction and death, and turn it into a symbol of victory? God can. Who else can take a cross that represents guilt and turn it into the greatest symbol of grace for all time? God can. I mean, who else can take a symbol of hurt and suffering and death and make it a symbol of life or make it a symbol of start overs that you can start again? No one but God. No one else could, but God can, and he did. God took that which was a symbol of weakness and he made it a great demonstration of his awesome strength. Now, so why does that matter? Why does that matter to you? Why does that matter to me? Here's why. Because what God did with the cross... He can do it with your life. What God was willing to do with the cross, He can do it with your life. That God can take something weak and make it strong. That God can take something that appears broken and put it back together again. That God can take something that's the ultimate symbol you know, of, of death and make it the greatest symbol of grace. God can do that with the cross and He can do it with your life too. I mean, God took something, you know, weak, and he made it strong. He, he did it with the cross, and he can do it for you too. His, his strength is made perfect, you know, in our greatest weaknesses. Verse 27, Paul writes, But God chose the foolish things of the world. He chose the cross to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. I mean, God didn't choose the cross in spite of its weakness. He chose the cross because of its weakness. It was because the cross was weak. And God knew it. That's why he chose it. He chose the cross because it was weak so that his strength and his healing could be seen through it. And that's what God does. He takes lives. He takes people who are down and out. He takes people who are burnout. He takes people who have nowhere else to go. He takes people who have been rejected by everyone and he says, you know what, I can use that 
He says, watch what else I can do. You think I can do that with a cross? Where do you see what I can do with a life? And the Bible is filled with stories like that. I mean, God, God choosing the weak things over and over again. You know, Abraham was old. Jacob was insecure. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was falsely accused. Moses stuttered. Samson was proud. Rahab was a prostitute. David had an affair. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was disobedient. Martha worried. The Samaritan woman had one failed marriage after another. Thomas had doubts, and there are plenty more. But God chooses the weak things of the world so that his strength can be seen in it. And what that comes down to is that very often, the very things that we feel like disqualify us from God's love are the very things that attract God to us. That he can prove his strength in us. I mean, the very things that wear you down, even here this morning, the things that you carried into this room, those things that overwhelm you and guilt you and leave you thinking, God must be sick with me. He must be absolutely disgusted with with who I am and the decisions and choices. I mean, he would never want me or he wouldn't want me anymore. Well, guess what? These are the things that get God's attention. I mean, it's in your weakness and my weakness that God sees an opportunity to demonstrate his great strength, not only for your life, but for the whole world to see. When we are weak, God is strong. When we are weak, when you are weak, God is strong. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you can follow along on the screens, Paul writes in verses 9 and 10, he says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And then in verse 10, he says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And that's the message of the cross, that weakness is strength. The message of the cross is that weakness is strength. I mean, you just don't get your life together. You don't just get everything in place and fix everything all up with your life, you know, so that you can finally go to God and say, okay, God, I'm finally ready for you. I am ready for you to love me. Take me. It doesn't work like that, or at least it shouldn't work like that. The cross reminds us that we are broken. It reminds us that we are broken, that we are ruined. The cross reminds us we are guilty, but Jesus says that is just the way that I want you. I want you just as you are. And that's a tough message to grasp because everyone else and everything else in life says don't acknowledge your weaknesses. You know, fight that. Do everything that you can to fight that. Don't give in to that message, you know. I mean, look at it this way. It's like when you go for a job interview. All right, you know they're going to ask you, what are your greatest weaknesses or what's your greatest weakness? You say, you know what, I don't really like computers. You know, I, I just don't, I don't know how to work them and I'm not really interested in how, learning how to use them either. You don't say that at an interview, all right? Or you, or you, you, don't, you know, when they ask you, well, what's your greatest weakness? I don't really like people. Yeah, I don't like to interact with people at all. I just really kind of like to be by myself. You know, you don't say that in an interview. Uh, you don't say... I'm not real big into authority. You know, I, I just, I kind of do better when I can do things my own way and I don't like people telling me what to do. Uh, you don't say that at a job interview. I mean, when you go to a job interview, you prepare yourself for that question so that when they say, what's your greatest weakness? You say, you know what? I'm a perfectionist. Or you say, you know, I'm a, I, I just, I work too hard sometimes. You know, my, my, my spouse tells me that I, I work way too much and I'm always determined to get the job done just right. I mean, that's what we're trained to do. That's what we're trained to say. So you disguise, you come up with answers to disguise the truth. And the Apostle Paul writes, guess what? You know, you think the foolishness of the cross is upside down. Get this. 
It's almost as if I'm delighting in my weaknesses because when I'm weak and acknowledge it and realize it, that's when he's the strongest. I, I am learning not just to simply accept my weaknesses, but I realize that in my weakness that God demonstrates his greatest work in my life. I can't do it all on my own, but God can. And he does it over and over again. You know, there are plenty of books, you know, to be read out there that say, hey, you're you're strong enough. You've got what it takes. Dig down deep. You know, you can get through this. Look inside, but the message of the cross is opposite. It says, you are not strong on your own. We are weak. And, you know, you and I will never be strong enough unless we are willing to realize that we are weak. If we're willing to to admit that we're weak. And it's in those moments that when we are at our weakest and we turn to Jesus and we say, I can't do it. I can't do this. I I can't deal with my past. I can't handle what's going on in the present right now. I, I can't handle what the future may or may not hold for me. I can't do it. But God promises that we can find strength and rest Strength that we never knew was there. You know, I, I talk about my kids a lot. It's easy to tell stories about your kids, and especially when they're still young. When they get a little bit older, I probably won't be able to tell as many stories about them. But we've got two boys, and we've got this. Uh, we've got our little girl, and she's one and a half, and she's pretty special. And it's a lot of fun. It's it's fun having a little girl, but it's a whole different ball game. I mean, we're just just an entirely different game. I mean, she is determined and just her own personality and she is constantly on the go and she loves being outside and so the spring has just opened up all these new doors of opportunities of what what can be done on the outside but i mean we're gonna it's just gonna be a busy busy summer and and so we've already found i mean you get out in the backyard and boom she's just on the go i mean we're gonna have to watch her like a hawk now i don't know if i should admit to this or not but we don't have a dog but our house came with invisible fence And uh, I didn't do anything, but I was just wondering, you know, is there a way, you know, that that with a young child, I mean, like, is there a a setting that is just kind of like a reminder, you know, it doesn't hurt or whatever, I'm not going to go there or do that or whatever, but I just wondered, you know, I mean, so if you're looking to come up with a creation, maybe, maybe, maybe it can be your idea or whatever, but, but anyway, she's on the go, on the go, on the go, and there are times where she wants to be held, there are times that she doesn't want to be held, and, and so you'll try and pick her up and carry her just to make it easy, and she's one down, and she's fighting you and everything, but there are times when she's just done, and she's exhausted, and she's had all of her fun. And there are those moments that I just love more than anything as a dad when, you know, even if we're outside or if we're shopping or walking around somewhere, that she'll just come walking back over and she raises her arms up and I get to reach down and pick her up and she finds her little position on on my chest and in my shoulder and all of a sudden that head goes down on the shoulder and the thumb goes in. And I look forward to those moments. And I just wonder, like, if there are times in our life, maybe even like a time this morning where we just need to stop and say, I've been going and going and going and trying to do it all on my own and make up for my mistakes. And we just need to stop and let our heavenly father pick us up and put his arms around us and let him do all the work.
Do you maybe need to do that this morning? You've just been going and going and going, but you're tired. And you don't think you can go any longer. I, I wonder as, if, as we look at the cross this morning, if it could be a reminder just to kind of give up this morning a bit. Say, I'm not going to try and do it myself. Maybe you're wondering why we've got a wheelbarrow on stage. Uh, I'll tell you that this, this wheelbarrow is pretty heavy. And uh, it, it's not too bad, but, you know, for a pastor who works in the office all day, you know, and I'm a little bit of a weakling, uh, it, it's pretty heavy. It's a little uncomfortable to lift, a little unnatural. I, I could probably wheel it around for a while, but after a while my, my arms would get a little tired. And, and, and the arms on this wheelbarrow are old, uh, and they could snap at any moment. But this wheelbarrow is full of junk. Um, it's got bricks in it. It's got these uh, big heavy posts. There's some other things in here as well, but, but just lots of bricks. And, and I was thinking this morning that I, my life, I, I carry a lot of this around with me at times. I, I've got junk. I've got things that I was never intended to carry that, that I carry around and I try and function with them. And, and I'm too proud to ask for help. And so it's about go, go, go and do, do, do. And you just get tired and you get worn down. And, and so I was thinking about just all of the different things that, these bricks represent in my life. You know, they're heavy, especially when you put them all together. And I, I wonder this morning, what, what would the bricks of your life represent? What, what are the things in your life right now that you just continue to carry around that, that are heavy and, and cause you to get tired and a little worn out? I, I was thinking about what these different bricks of my life represent, and, and I was thinking, you know, one of these bricks... It represents my past. Uh, it, it represents um, the times that I've messed up in my life. Uh, it represents the, the times in my life where uh, I've wanted to give up, uh, kind of turn it in because I didn't feel like I could go any longer. And, and so I carry this around. I carry these bricks around. You know, they, 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 they kind of represent my past. And, um, or I think about another brick. Let's just say that this, this brick uh, represents my sins. I probably better pick up two or three, actually. Uh, but uh, but th- these, this brick represents my sins. And again, these are, are bad choices in the past, maybe saying something that I, I wish I could have it back. Uh, maybe it was, uh, um, you know, uh, 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 the wrong thing said in the wrong relationship uh, to really hurt someone that, that I loved. Or... But, but I, I can carry these around with me. I can carry around the sins of my past. We can all carry around the sins of our past, and, and they get heavy. And as we go and as our, our wheelbarrow, as our life fills up with them, it gets heavier and heavier to carry. And, and then it becomes the shame and the guilt and the regret. And we all carry these around. We carry those sorts of bricks around. We carry around the... Uh, the bricks that represent the sins of our past, or, or I was thinking about another brick. This, this brick, we'll just say, represents the different roles that I play in my life. Uh, it represents uh, my life as, as a father. Uh, it represents my life as a husband, uh, as a friend, as a son, uh, as a, a brother, um, as a pastor. And, and when I think about these sorts of bricks, I, I think about how I at times fail in every single one of my roles. Like when I come home and I'm, I'm short with my kids or they don't get what they should get from me. 
I'm very impatient and I fail in that. I carry that around. I carry that guilt. Or I think about uh, when I fail as a husband, you know, and because I'm going and going and going and going all the time, I, I come home and my wife gets leftovers, you know. She gets just whatever's left of me and, and I can be passive and I can say things that, that I really shouldn't say. I, I think about, you know, the role that I play as a pastor and how tiring that can be for me at times because I'm a people pleaser. And that, that's one of my weaknesses as a person is I'm a people pleaser. And so I, I tend to, to put on a, a smile all the time. And sometimes that can get a little inauthentic. And I, I carry that weight of always wanting to please people, uh, to know that they're happy with me. And that, that's another brick that I carry around. Uh, you know, maybe an, another one that I carry is just uh, pride and selfishness. You know, as jo- Josh talked about last week, you know, about this tendency in us to want to go first. I, I think whether I like to um, acknowledge it or not, but there's a tendency in me to want to, I want to be first. I, I want people to, to see me. I, uh, sometimes, you know, just to be in the spotlight or whatever, I, I carry around that brick and, and it can get heavy. And, and, and this brick, you know, this brick represents my, my current struggles with sin. And I can get so determined to, to overcome sin in my life, and yet I fail. We all sin. I try to do it in my own strength. I try and find victory all on my own. You know, this, this brick represents my sins. And, and these days I find that when I try and carry all of this myself, it can get a little overwhelming. And, and what bothers me is when I realize that I was never intended to carry all of this, that God didn't design me to carry around all of this junk to be a follower, to continue functioning and to enjoy the life that he's given to me because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. I wasn't intended to carry all of this. And, and so I'm, I'm wondering this morning, as I look at the cross, as I, I, I understand what the cross means for my life, what it means to leave all of it here. And you know what? Maybe you did that last Easter, but you need to do it again today. To come to this place where you say, you know what? I'm just going to leave it all here. I was never intended to carry it on my own. And, and I don't know what these bricks represent to you. I mean, maybe this brick represents a broken relationship right now. You know, whether it be with a spouse or a former spouse or a brother, sister, a parent, a, a friend, but the relationship is broken. And maybe this brick represents that for you right now. Or, or maybe, maybe this brick, brick represents a, a health challenge. It, it represents a scare in your life. And you're carrying this around and you don't know what the future holds for you but it's heavy and it's messing with you right now. And it's messing with the way that you function and it's starting to affect a number of different things in your life. And you're carrying it on your own and you never were intended to. Or maybe this brick represents a rebellious child and they're just making some poor decisions right now and you're trying to fix them, but you're not getting there. And maybe for this, this brick for you, it's just, you know, I'm trying to do it all on my own. Or maybe this brick is an unpredictable future because you don't know what tomorrow holds. And maybe it has to do with a job. Maybe it has to do with money. Maybe it has to do, you know, with with where you're going to live, whatever that may be. But you're carrying it around. And here's the point. We weren't ever intended to do that. the, The cross, this great symbol of weakness, has become this great symbol of strength. What God did with the cross, he wants to do with our lives. That when we are weak, he is strong. You know, as Paul says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And I'm just wondering this morning what it would mean for you and I to come to this place where we just say, I'm I'm leaving it at the cross today.
I'm not going to carry it around any longer. And, and you just come to this place where you said, I'm fed up with all of this stuff. And you come to the cross and you just say, I'm leaving it all here today. I'm not going to carry it anymore. The Bible says to cast all of your cares upon him because he cares for you. Will you bow your heads for just a moment? What would it mean for you this morning to come to a place where you just say, I'm going to leave it all at the cross. I'm going to cast all of my burdens on him because he cares. The message of the cross is that God is strong. That his love is strong enough to handle whatever weight you are carrying. Maybe you carried something in here today. If you let him, he'll carry it out. God, we pray right now in the name of Jesus uh, that your great work would continue in our lives as we seek to trust you. God, would you help us acknowledge the load and the weight, the bricks that we're carrying in our life right now and to try and understand what it would mean to let go of those things this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.